Good to be with you guys on this Father's Day. We're going to continue in our new sermon series, Everyday Theology. We started this series last week saying that far too often there is a gap, a gap between what we believe on paper, you know, the boxes we check, there's a gap between that and how those beliefs affect and change how we live every day. Similar to the way that someone might say, you know, my doctors tell me I really need to lose weight, I, you know, for my health, I need to lose weight, I got to lose weight, and they, and they know they got to do that, they believe they got to do that, and so they get on this diet, they start exercising, they do all those things, and then someone shows up at work, and they brought donuts. And you look at them, and you know you shouldn't eat them, you know what the doctor said, you know what you believe. But that gap in your, in your knowledge and what you believe and what you do shows up, and you're going to eat the donut. You eat the donut. In the same way, we have a gap between what we believe about God and what we believe on paper, what our theology is, what our doctrine is, what we believe is. There's a gap between that and how we live, how that fleshes itself out. And so what we want to do is close that gap. We want to close the gap between what we say, what we believe, and how we live. We want to be consistent. But not just for consistency's sake, though that's a good thing. We want to close the gap because what we actually believe, what our theology, what our doctrine actually says, is that our beliefs actually lead to ultimate joy, to greater fulfillment, to the abundant life, right? So we want to live those things out if that's true. But just like that foul temptress, the donut, we find ourselves stuck between competing ideologies, Competing thoughts and competing beliefs, so we want to sure those up. We, what, that we, should, we want to know what we should rightly believe, so that when those conflicting thoughts, those conflicting ideologies come, the donuts don't lead us astray. We instead live in accordance with sound doctrine, as the Bible says. So when those conflicting thoughts come up, do I really believe the Bible like, do I really believe that it's true? Do I really believe that it's powerful? Do I really believe that I should follow it deep down? Or is there a part of me that actually thinks, well, maybe it's a little outdated? Or is there a part of me that thinks, well, it is a little old-fashioned? Or, well, maybe it doesn't really mean that all the time or always. Maybe it can change. Maybe it's a little wrong. This morning, as we look at each week a doctrine, and we say, what do we believe about this doctrine, and then how does that doctrine change the way we live? Last week we looked at the doctrine of God, who is God, and how does that change the way we live? This week we're going to look at Scripture. What do we believe about the Scriptures, and how do those change how we live? Adrian Rogers, one of the most influential pastors of the 20th century, once said that everyone has a relationship with the Bible. He describes that relationship, there's possibilities that some, of the, some people despise the Bible, some people distort the Bible, some people dissect the Bible, others disregard the Bible, but he says that he believed that the danger for those today are for those who merely admire the Bible, but continue to keep on living as they always have. You see, I think maybe the relationship between those who live in England and the Queen is similar to our relationship to the Bible. Those people who live in England, they admire the queen. She is an inspirational symbol. Right? 70 years on the throne. 
the people in England, they're glad that the queen is there. They're glad there's a monarch. And on certain holidays, they pay her special attention. But really, she has no power in their their day-to-day lives. And is that not how some of us view the Bible? We admire the Bible. We think the Bible's inspirational. We're glad the Bible's there. And on certain holidays, we pay the Bible extra special attention. But really, ultimately, the Bible has no power in our day-to-day lives. You know, I've known a lot of people who treat the Bible really specially. You know, they display it in their home. They, they make sure, you know, no one ever sits anything on top of the Bible, right? Someone ever does, oh, no, 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 Grandma will get you. Don't sit anything on top. Don't put your coffee mug on top of the Bible. Don't put another book on top of the Bible. It, you know, one time I got in trouble preaching because I, I, I had the Bible and I dropped it. Somebody came and got on me, don't drop the Bible. And, but I think when people do that, they think that there's somehow power in the book itself. Like that there's power in like the actual book, like in the pages. But they miss that the power is not in the book, but in the message inside the book. It is in the words and what the words say and what the words mean. So we're going to dive in. What do we believe about the Bible? What do we believe about the Bible and how does that change our life? We need to do that for one reason. A recent survey showed that Americans, when asked about the Bible, overwhelmingly thought that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. And they believed that Sodom and Gomorrah were married. But hey, you know what? We all start somewhere. We all have different levels of understanding. We all come in at a different place. We're all a different place. And that's where good, healthy churches should be. Some people who know the Bible really well. Some people don't know it at all. And we've all got to grow together. So really quick, let's give some basic ideas and understandings about the Bible. The Bible has two testaments, old and new. Everything in the Old Testament is before Jesus. Everything in the New Testament deals with Jesus and everything that comes after. The Old Testament is 39 books written in Hebrew and Aramaic. New Testament, 27 books written in Greek. The Bible is 66 books in total, written by 40 different authors over the span of 1,500 years. The first, Bi- the first translation of the Bible into English was in 1382 by John Wycliffe. The Bible is one story with Jesus as its main focus. And it has four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Creation, how things came to be. Fall, how things got screwed up. Redemption, how God is going to fix the world. And restoration, how God ultimately sets all things right again. that's, That's what the Bible is. Now, five theological truths about the Bible that you need to know and believe and how they should change your life. Number one, the Bible is inspired. The Bible is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, now all in Greek means something really specific. It means all. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What do we mean when we say the Bible is inspired? Do we mean by that that the Bible is inspirational? Do we mean that when the author was writing it, he was feeling inspired like an artist does when he finally gets past that writer's block or that hurdle and finally paints that masterpiece? No, that's not what we mean. When we say the Bible was inspired, we mean that God breathed it out, as the passage we just read said. That God breathed it out, that though there are human authors involved in the writing of the Bible, that there is first and foremost a divine author. God. 
The Bible may have been written by the hands of men, but as those men wrote, they wrote the very words of God. It is, the Bible is from God's mouth to our eyes and ears. Now, that doesn't mean that the human authors, when they wrote, that they were put into a trance, right? It's not that God took them over and then, right? That's not what happened, right? Uh, that's not true. We see very clearly that these human authors, uh, we, we, we see their personalities come across in how they write. We know, for example, that the book of Hebrews, who we don't know the author, was not written by Paul because the grammar and the sentence structure is nothing like Paul. The dude from Hebrews is way smarter than Paul was from a grammatical perspective. We know it's not him. So we see the human authors uh, take shape in the way they write. These men wrote from their perspectives. The things that they wanted to write came into their minds and they wrote, but somehow, mysteriously, by the sovereign hand of God, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that as they wrote, they wrote the very words of God. They wrote the very things God wanted them to write. So no matter what you read in the Bible, whether the letters are red or black, they are all equally the words of God. Breathed out by him. So, so why does that matter? Why does it matter that we believe that? Well, how many times have you been in a situation where maybe things were hard and you just wish God would give you some direction? You were going through something in your life and you just wish God would show up giving you some direction that he would speak to you. That he'd send you a dream or that, that he would somehow send a prophet to you or somehow communicate to you. And you, you pace back and forth in your house wondering why God won't speak, why God won't send you a sign. All the while you're pacing back and forth past the very book where he has spoken. And we miss. He has spoken to us. You can't just go to the Bible when, when some particular problem shows up in your life. And go, you know what, i got to Google a verse for this. I need to get a verse for this problem that's going on in my life. i got to get a verse for that. And try to jam that in. That doesn't work. You have to read. You have to know what God has revealed, what God has spoken through his word. So that when times of trouble come, when difficult times come, you don't just find one little verse to jam into the situation, but you know the totality of what God has revealed and spoken about, and then you're able to apply those things to your life and to that situation and able to navigate it and get through. You see, we do not need to look anywhere other than the Bible to hear the voice of God. We don't need to look anywhere other than the Bible to hear the voice of God. It's super popular today amongst certain groups inside of evangelicalism, inside of Christianity, who oftentimes the musicians who in the middle of a song will, will stop and say, I've got a word from God for you. And God has told me this, and he's given it to you. Or sometimes someone will come up to you and say, hey, God gave me this word for you. And they somehow give this revelation, this new word. Don't be deceived. Stop looking for signs. Stop looking for, for God to write, let, write uh, stuff for you in the sky. Stop looking for some magical thing because he's already sent it. He's already done the magical thing. He's already done the supernatural miracle that is in the palm of our hands on every phone we have. We can read it. God's voice preserved and sent to you. It is inspired by God. 
Stop looking elsewhere and look in the scriptures. Number two, the Bible is inerrant and infallible. You see, when we speak of the inerrancy and the infallibility of of the Bible, we're speaking, first of all, about the original manuscripts. That is the, the original page the authors wrote on. Now, thankfully, there are some 6,000 manuscripts or copies uh, of the Bible, of the different books. And, and as you line them all up, we find that they are like 99.8% accurate. And the only issues are spelling issues, not substantive issues. And so when we read our Bibles, we can have confidence that we are reading the things that Paul or Luke or James or whoever wrote. But when we mean, what do we mean by inerrancy? We mean that the Bible contains no errors, which is exactly what we would expect from a document inspired by God. According to Hebrews 6.18, God cannot lie. And so if the Bible had errors, we would never know which parts to believe and which ones to reject. Because as soon as you think you can know which sections of the Bible are right and which sections are outdated or which sections are wrong, what you've done is placed a higher authority on your ability to know which ones are right or wrong, and a lesser authority on the trustworthiness of the Scriptures. We don't want to do that. We want to trust God, and we want to trust that His Word is true, and it contains no errors. Now, mind you, the Bible contains no errors in all that it intends to say. When the Bible speaks about the sun standing still in the sky in the Old Testament, it is speaking from a human perspective. From its author's perspective, it's not trying to speak on matters of science and whether or not the sun is moving around the earth. The Bible is without error in all that it intends to communicate. It is infallible, meaning that it never fails to accomplish its purpose. Isaiah 55.11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose." And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Bible never fails. And it never makes mistakes. God will use it to accomplish precisely what he intends to. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means we can trust the Bible. It means we can trust the Bible. You know, over the last few years, there have been, you've heard a lot about fake news. Right? Right, left, center, right? Everybody's got their own fake news. And sometimes it can be hard to know Who to believe? Which media outlets are right? Which articles are are right? Can we trust this Facebook article? Can we trust this? Are they reporting accurately? Well, when we read the Bible, we don't have to have that worry. When we read the Bible, we can know that the Bible contains no errors. We can know that God is not going to come out in a year or so and print a retraction. We can know that he's not going to print a correction. You see, we can store these words up in our heart. We can take these promises to the bank. We can know that no matter where the shifting sands of culture will try to take us, that the Bible will always be truth, it will always be relevant, and it will be true for every time through all time. It is infallible and it's inerrant. Three, the Bible is authoritative. The Bible is authoritative. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. You know, sometimes as parents, we get lazy. And we, you know, I can, many times I've been sitting on the couch and and, and I'll want the kids to come in and clean up. And so I'll see one of the kids come in to get a drink or the bathroom or something. I'll say, hey, go tell everybody else to come on inside and let's get cleaning up. Let's clean up the living room. 
Well, they'll go back outside, and a couple minutes will go by, and nobody's coming in to clean up. I'm wondering what's going on. And, I, you know, another kid will come back in, get a drink, go to the bathroom, whatever, and I'll say, hey, did so-and-so not come out there? And did you not tell them to come on inside? No, Dad, I told them. I told them to, you say, I told them to come on in and clean up. Why aren't they coming? I don't know. You tell them Dad said. Right? You tell them Dad said come inside. And what happens? They come inside. See, authority matters. The same words spoken by different people are received differently. If a coworker tells you to do something, you may or may not listen. But if your boss tells you to do something, even if you don't like it, you do it. Because authority matters. So if you are just reading a, a Christian book written by some author you like, and they tell you that you should do this or you should do that, you might agree or you might not agree. You might think it's good. You might think it's helpful. You might think it's bad. But if when reading the Bible, the Bible says to do A, B, or C, or the Bible says to not do A, B, or C, there is no question. There is no debate. There is no, well, is this cultural? Is this relevant? Does this matter? Is this, is this outdated? There's none of that because if the Bible speaks, it speaks with authority. And when it speaks with authority, we listen and we obey. Why does that matter? Because so often, we know what the Bible says, yet we don't listen. We don't obey. We treat the Bible like another book. We treat the Bible like it's a sibling telling us to do something and not dad telling us to do it. People love to come to the Bible and, and try to change what its meaning is. To make it say what they want it to say. They try to change the Bible to, to fit their life, to fit their circumstances, to, to fit the way they want things to be. I'll give you a great modern example. The Bible is clear about the gift of sex, that the gift of sex is designed and intended to be exclusive between a man and a woman who are married. But so often in our culture today, we find people who move in together, sleep together before they're married. If you do that, what you have done is chosen your own authority over God's. Obedience is always a battle over authority. Over who is actually in charge? Is it you or is it God? Matt Chandler says, if you are not confident in the authority of the scriptures, you will be a slave to what sounds right. Man, that is so true for us today. That we become slaves to what sounds right. Sounds right. We are slaves to what sounds right. We are slaves to what tickles our ear, what confirms what we already think or what we already want to do. Right? It's not that we want to do all kinds of things, right? And the Bible is saying, don't do that. It's not good for you. If the Bible has not made you change your life, think, I want you to think about this. If the Bible, in, in your life as a Christian, if the Bible has, the Bible has not caused you to change something you believed or something you thought, or, or something you were doing, if it has not forced you to wrestle with something and change, then you are not reading the Bible correctly. Because nobody comes into Christianity having all the right answers already, right? None of us do. 
None of us come in having it all figured out. And so all of us should all be wrestling and changing our mind and changing our positions and having new and greater understanding and changing our life based on what the Bible is telling us to do. There's an old story about a, a Navy captain. We'll call him Captain Jack. Maybe Captain Jack Sparrow, we'll call him that. This Navy captain uh, who's, you know, driving his big old, uh, big, what do you call those big old boats? Destroy, big old destroyer or something, right? He's, he's driving this big old boat, and he sees on the radar that there's another ship, and it's going to hit him. And so he gets on the radio, and he says, uh, excuse me, ship, this is uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. Uh, you need to move 10 degrees to your left, or we're going to collide. And he doesn't hear anything back. So he gets back on the radio, excuse me, ship, this is Captain Jack Sparrow, you need to move 10 degrees to your right, right now, immediately, or we are going to collide. And then then he gets a response. He gets a response that says, no, sir, you are the one who needs to move. So the captain gets back on, I don't think you understand who I am. I am the ranking naval officer here. You must comply with me. Move 10 degrees to the east now. Sir? I don't know who you are, but I am the man in the lighthouse, and you better move or you're going to crash. You see, sometimes we live like we have the authority that we tell God, you need to move and you need to change. But the Bible is the authoritative word of God. We conform to it. We don't conform it to us. We change to mold our life after what it says, after what God says. We don't make it fit what we already decided we want. Amen? All right. Four, the Bible is transformative. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is not a textbook meant to convey information. The Bible is not simply a collection of stories meant to teach you morality. The Bible is not wisdom that's just to help you navigate difficulties of life. The Bible is meant to change you. The Bible is meant to change you. The Roman soldiers during this time carried a sword that was unique. It was unique in that it was sharp on both sides. It was a short sword, and so it you know, wasn't one of these big, low, long, broad swords. It was short, and it was, it was to devastating effect because in battle, it, wherever it touched you, it would cut you, no matter where it landed. It was sharp. It would cut you wide open. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate here, that when you read or study the Bible, it should cut you to the heart. That when you read or study the Bible, it should cut you deep to the heart. The Holy Spirit is using the Bible to change you, to mold you. And if you read or study it and you are not cut to the heart and you are not changed by it, it means that you have either misunderstood what you have read or you have approached it callously. Paul Tripp, theologian, says, You cannot sit under the teaching of the Word of God with an open and willing heart and remain remain the same. You cannot sit under the teaching of the Word of God if you're willing and open and yet remain the same. One of the problems we have as sinners who come to study the Bible is in how we apply it. We sit under the preaching or teaching of the Bible, or we study the Bible on our own, and we will rightly understand the passage and how it applies. 
But instead of it cutting our hearts, instead of saying, oh man, I need to change this thing. I need to believe differently. Our first thought when is, oh man, man, this would be really good for old Betty Joe to hear. Man, this would be really good for old, for old Bob to hear. This would be really good for Betty Sue to hear. But before we ever apply the word of God to someone else's life, we should first apply it to our own life. Don't deflect and think, oh man, they need to hear it. No, we need to. Sometimes we think if we really let the Bible speak to our life and we really evaluate our hearts, we think, man, that's going to be really scary. Like, we don't know if we can change. We're, we're scared to admit how wrong we are. We're scared to admit how poorly we've acted or how poorly we've believed. And so we're scared to, to enter into that wrestling. But it's actually the opposite. I mean, there is no greater feeling in the world than for the Bible to expose fault in us. Because the Bible doesn't expose fault like some, of, some friends or maybe bad parents or, or somebody does. It doesn't come at us yelling. How dare you? Get right. Fix it. It doesn't do that. It doesn't yell at us. The Spirit doesn't come and condemn us. But rather, He gently and graciously and patiently helps us change. And so when the Bible exposes a fault and it changes us, and it feels good. It feels refreshing. It feels like, to me, the completion of a project. Right, you go out to your garage and you see like the paint's peeling off and there's holes in the drywall and there's toys everywhere. Toys everywhere, can I get an amen? Okay, and the toys everywhere and you go in and you go, I don't even know if I can tackle this. I don't even know if I can do anything with this. And then you finally do it and you go and you clean up and you organize and you patch the holes and you paint it. And when you're done, you step back and you look at it and you go, yeah. <laughs> that's tomorrow, but today, while you look at it, when you look at it, you're like, yeah, that's, I did that. This is good. And in the same way, when God changes and he molds us, we're like, yeah, I can't believe I was doing that other thing before. I can't believe I thought that other thing before. Man, I'm so glad the Bible has conformed to me to itself. The word of God changes us. See, the word of God has not completed its work in you until it has changed your mind, your heart, and your life. The Word of God has not completed its work. It's changed your mind, heart, and life. See, the Bible is inspired, and so we should read it. The Bible is without error, so we should trust it. The Bible is authoritative, so we should conform to it. The Bible is transformative, and so we should let it change us. And finally, the Bible is our curriculum. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourselves, or if you read the old King James, it was steady to show thyself approved. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Every Christian, every single Christian is called to study the Bible. And the Bible is something that has to be studied. It is an ancient document written in many different languages and different genres. That have to be read and interpreted differently. The Bible is not a fifth grade reading level. And it doesn't just come to us flat. It doesn't just come and say, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. There are are stories and proverbs and prophecies and letters. There is a lot to unpack, a lot to think about, a lot to apply, learn how to apply. There's a lot of thinking and wrestling that goes into it. 
And so we have to study the Bible. And this study is not something that just pastors are called to. It is a command to all of God's people. Because knowing the Bible is one of the most valuable things you can ever have in life. And there is no way that you guys would ever know if I was up here spouting silliness, spouting foolishness, unless you guys knew better. Unless you guys were able to say, no preacher, that's wrong. Let me show you where. To know the Bible, because you have studied it, will prepare you for hard questions. It will prepare you for sharing the gospel. It will prepare you for thinking through modern issues in a Christian and biblical way. It will help you make decisions. It will help you have joy in the midst of sorrow. It will help you navigate suffering and pain, loss and heartache. It will help you be a good thinker. It will help you be a Christian thinker. Dads, godly men need not just know their way around Home Depot. They need to know their way around the Bible. So when their kids have questions, when their kids have a problem, dads, you can come and take them to the source of truth. Moms, you can come and take them to the source of truth. Maybe you were here a few weeks back and you heard me talk about the liberal arts. Historically, when the liberal arts were first taught, the reason they were called the liberal arts, because liberal, liber, comes from the Latin, which means free. And to, under, to study the liberal arts, to study reading and writing and, and all these things, meant you were a free man. Meant that when you needed to sign a contract, you didn't have to get someone else to come read it for you. And you had to trust them that what they were saying to you was right. You are free because you could read and write and understand on your own. But if you are dependent on a pastor or a book or a podcast or someone else to explain to you what the scriptures mean, you are not free, you are a slave. You are a slave to whoever it is that must explain these hard things to you. And you will never arrive at your own conclusions, but will always be dependent upon someone else. And you will have no idea how much work that person put into coming to that conclusion. Have they spent hours laboring over it, or did they just think of it off the cuff? You'll never know if you're in the right or wrong. You'll just be a slave to whoever you trust. So study God's word so that you might know Jesus and know how to follow him in a world that is confused on the truth. So let me ask you this. What is your relationship with the Bible? What is your relationship with the Bible? Are you going to continue to treat it like the Queen of England? To admire it? To look at it on special holidays? Are you going to allow it to have power in your everyday life? Since the Bible is inspired, will you commit to read it? Since the Bible is without error, will you commit to trust it? Since the Bible is authoritative, Will you commit to conform your life to it? Since the Bible is transformative, will you commit to letting it change you? Since the Bible is our curriculum, will you commit to studying it? You know, there is a reason that whatever hotel you go to, if you open up enough drawers, you will find in there a Gideon Bible. Because The reason is because again and again, those Gideons can tell you stories. But how a certain person on a certain day going through a certain situation was in that hotel room, happened upon that Bible, opened it up to some random place, read it, gave their life to Jesus, and their life was changed forever. Because the Bible is not primarily a book about life principles. 
The Bible is not primarily a book about moral teachings to emulate. The Bible is not primarily a book of good advice. The Bible is a story. The Bible is a story about rebellious kids who turned their back on their father, and it is about a father who moved heaven and earth so that he might give his life to rescue his children and bring them back home. So, I've got a question. One of two steps for us all to take this morning. For some of you in this room, you need to take that first step. You don't know the Jesus of this Bible. You may be religious. You may not be religious. You don't know Jesus as your Savior, as your King. You don't trust the Bible. You've never done any of that. But today you're curious. And you wonder just maybe, is it actually true? That's you this morning. You want to pursue that, wrestle with that. I'd love to wrestle with that with you. We sing in a moment. Just come up here and say, Brent, I don't know, but I want to think about this with you. I believe in God, maybe, but I don't want to believe in Jesus. And for some of us this morning, we need to take that next step to take the Bible off the shelf and actually open it up. To actually think deeply, to study, diff- to study deeply, to wrestle, to let it change us, mold us. That we might go into this confused world and know the truth unwaveredly. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it's living and active. We're thankful that it's inspired, that it's without error, that it has authority, that it transforms us. God, we pray this morning for, for two things. One, if there's those in this room who don't know you, have not followed you, have not given their life to you, not trusted in you. God, would you pique their curiosity this morning and help them to flesh that out? To come talk with me or to somebody else and begin to wrestle and ask those questions. Is the Bible really true? Is what it says about Jesus really true? Is Jesus really Lord, the one raised from the dead? Or is he just a myth and a fairy tale? God, give them that curiosity this morning that might may come and wrestle and begin to think through those things. To give their life to Jesus, to become a child of God, changed forever. And Father, for those of us in this room who are so busy, busy with work, busy with family, busy with all kinds of things going on, God, help us carve out time in our every single day to open your word to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, to chew on it, to wrestle with it, to think about it, to apply it, and to know it. Not just when difficult days come, not just when we need a verse to cram in to to apply to this section of our life, but that's so we might know all of the scriptures, to know what you would have for us, what you would say to us in all situations, that we might walk faithfully with our God. Father, we love you. We're thankful in Christ's name we pray. All those people said, let's stand together and sing.